Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Why be moral? Morality takes into account other people's interests. Why not be moral? Morality itself is already a compromise between self-interest and altruism. Is an immoral person being illogical, inconsistent, incoherent? You know, look around the world. Do you think people's real self-interest is not in conflict? Where all the good people go? I've been changing channels. I don't see them on the TV show. Where all the good people go? We got heaps and heaps of what we sow. What's the good argument for favoring your interests over the interests for others? Our guest is James Sturba from the University of Notre Dame. Recorded live at Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon. Why be moral? Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Where all the good people go? This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon. Our thinking originates at Stanford University at Philosopher's Corner. That's where Ken and I both teach philosophy. Today's program is part of Pacific University's 16th Annual Undergraduate Philosophy Conference. Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. Now, today we're going to ask the question, often ask, why be moral? Well, isn't that kind of a dumb question? I mean, morality is, by definition, a good thing. Immorality, a bad thing. A person should do good things and not do bad things. Don't you agree? Doesn't everyone agree? Well, if you judge people by their behavior, I don't think everyone does, in fact, agree, John. Well, that's because you're confusing ought and is. People do, in fact, behave immorally. That's is. But they shouldn't. That's ought. It's not reasonable. Everyone knows that, at least in their heart of hearts. Oh, saying that implies that when people behave immorally, they're acting irrationally or insincerely or hypocritically or something like that. But look, there could be situations in which a person fully weighs the pros and cons, sincerely and rationally decides that the best thing for him to do, all things considered, is precisely what morality forbids. Don't you think so? Well, I take it you're thinking of situations in which morality points you in one direction and your own self-interest points you in another direction. That's one thing I'm thinking of, yeah, right? Well, I mean, that happens. Lots of people are psychologically inclined, for one reason or another, to elevate their own self-interest above all other considerations, including morality. For people like that, when morality and self-interest come into conflict, a reason won't convince them to go with the moral choice. It loses out. But that's not how they should reason. Rationally speaking, morality should always trump self-interest. Rationally speaking. Are you kidding me? Look, suppose there's an open, unguarded bank vault with lots and lots and lots of cash. It's staring you in the face. It's ripe for the taking. And you could really, really use that money, John. And look, I'm going to add something else to this scenario. I'm going to give you an ironclad guarantee that if you take it, no one will ever be the wiser. Where's the rationality in not taking the money? Come on, show me where the rationality is. Well, I think the problem here is, Ken, that, that you're a moral skeptic. You don't really believe in objective right and wrong. Well, if there's no objective right and wrong, 
we can do whatever we want without having to worry about morality, then it's probably not rational to worry about it. But that's a pretty desperate position, isn't it? Well, look, I think there's actually a lot to be said for moral skepticism. I have to admit, you kind of called me out there, but look, for the sake of this argument, I don't need that. I'm willing to stipulate that it would be wrong, morally wrong, to take the money in the situation we just imagined. I'm even willing to stipulate that that's an objective, inescapable fact. I'm willing to stipulate all that. Well, if you stipulate all that, where's the problem? Well, the question still remains. Does the bare fact that something is objectively morally right or wrong, does that automatically give you a reason to do it or not do it. I, I think I'm seeing where you're coming from. You think that the only thing we ever have a reason to do is to pursue our own self-interest. But that's not right. You should admit that there's more to rationality than just figuring out what's in our own self-interest. Well, I admit that. Look, I go to the doctor, I have this disease, there's a drug that would cure the disease, the doctor gives it to me. Why is he give it to me? Because he cares about my well-being. And he does that, he's acting out of my interests not his own interest, at least not exclusively, and, and I agree he's acting rationally. So I, I think you're right, behaving rationally doesn't just mean acting in your own self-interest, I agree. So self-regarding reasons are rooted in considerations of naked self-interest. You distinguish from those other regarding interests that are not rooted in self-interest but in our concern for others. So we got two kinds of reasons. Morality may not always give us self-regarding reasons to do what it commands, but that doesn't mean it doesn't give us reasons because it could give us other regarding reasons. So it seems to me we've solved your problem. No, problem not solved, because there's now a further question. How do we balance self-regarding reasons against other regarding reasons when the two conflict? I mean, who says that the altruistic other regarding reasons always win out? Who says that? Well, you know, any philosopher who says there's something they don't understand always trumps a philosopher who thinks they do understand it. So you really think there's a question there, so there must be a question there. Uh, lots of people believe that moral considerations always override selfish concerns, but you don't, so we can ask, why do they? Plus, there's another thing. Look, there are people who don't care a whit about the well-being of others. They may be selfish in the extreme. I admit they're selfish in the extreme, but are they irrational? And if you can be totally self-regarding and still be rational, those other regarding considerations that morality throws at you, they just, they'll just fail to move you. They'll fail to move you rationally. You know, that reminds me of Hume. Hume had this uh, uh, selfish, rational knave, some poor soul that had been raised without proper parenting, so he didn't really have any connection with other people. He didn't care about satisfying their desires and he wasn't moved by issues of morality. And Hume said that person could be a perfectly consistent thinker, not make errors of logic, and yet there might be nothing you could say that would convince him to be moral. Well, I mean, I agree if that's the narrow definition of morality. I think the best thing to do with such people is to avoid them. Well, look, these are challenging questions, John, that we've asked. And to help us get started to, in our search for answer, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash, to find out how supposedly moral people rationalize their immoral behavior. She files this report. Mark Pierpont is a complicated man. He was an evangelical preacher who became well-known for trying to cure gay people. He'd hang out at gay bars and distribute religious pamphlets. Here's a clip from an old interview Pierpont gave, shown in the documentary film The Protagonist. Is homosexuality a sin, a, a vitamin deficiency? Or, oh, it's, uh, it's definitely a sin. It's just the same as stealing, lying, anything. It's, it's a sin. It's a bondage. It's different in the fact that 
um, the scripture says a man who commits sexual sin commits it against the body itself and so in that way it's worse because it's a deeper bondage it's an all-encompassing spirit soul and body of course this story is complicated by the fact that mark pierpont is gay so this raises the question can you be both gay and an evangelical preacher who denounces homosexuality which part of your identity is the more authentic the gay part or the religious part we were interested in the question about what people think a person is like really deep down inside, and we were wondering whether it would be influenced by people's moral judgments. Joshua Nob is an experimental philosopher at Yale. He conducts thought experiments on real people while studying their behavior and their brains. In one experiment, he divided 200 participants into two groups. The first group heard the story of the real Mark Pierpont, the man caught between his desires and his moral beliefs. And what we asked participants is just, what is Pierpont's true self? The results were pretty clearly split along ideological lines. Liberals believed Pierpont's true self is in his feelings, that he's gay. And conservatives said Pierpont's true self is in his moral beliefs, that he's Christian. Then a second group of participants heard a story that was the exact reverse, where a man preaches homosexuality as a virtue. He kept having these feelings that told him, you know, this is wrong, there's something kind of disgusting about engaging in these kind of behaviors. And then participants were asked, okay, there are these two parts of himself. Which is his true self? This time, the results were the exact opposite. Liberals said Pierpont's moral beliefs are his true self, that deep down he's a man who believes it's wrong to sexually discriminate. And conservatives said his feelings, that homosexuality is a sin, were his true self, not his moral beliefs. So what does this all mean? When a person has all sorts of different aspects of their self, we pick out whichever aspect of the self we think is truly the valuable one, the good one, and we regard that one as being the person's essence, or who that person most fundamentally is. This impulse to believe that people have good in them and say that's who they really are seems kind of sweet to me. But then, as Joshua Nob points out, it's also judgmental and unforgiving. Like, we can't see people as being morally good if they're different. Nope says studies have shown that when people believe they're morally good, that actually causes them to act in terrible ways. They seem to feel licensed by the fact that they are so morally good in general to sort of slack off on this one particular occasion. So we see people who drive Priuses flying down to LA for an afternoon of shopping, or the morally righteous guy making an off-color racist joke. If we're so prone to moral hypocrisy, what makes us act good in the first place? One of the most striking things is the enormous, enormous effect of feeling like you're being watched. When people are completely alone, they feel perfectly content to do things that harm others in ways that they would never do if they in any way felt like other people were watching them. Studies show people are more likely to act good or altruistically if there's a picture with eyes on it that seems to be watching them. Nob says if you want people to leave money in that tip jar, perhaps you should add a picture of a face. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Ash. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.